Welcome to the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, email it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and check us out on Instagram, instagram.com slash greatdetectives. A reminder, you can enter our uh, Sherlock Holmes giveaway, uh, giveaway giveaway.greatdetectives.net through August 27th. Well now, let's get into this week's episode of Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar. The original air date, February 23rd, 1954, and the title is The Classified Killer Matter. Wrigley's Spearmint Chewing Gum, the refreshing, delicious treat that gives you chewing enjoyment, presents for your listening enjoyment, John Lund as... (laughs) Johnny Dollar. Did I wake you up, Dollar? Well, how could you? It's only four in the morning. Sorry, this is Ted Albright. I'm Eastern Indemnity's new branch manager in Chicago. Congratulations and good night. Wait a minute, Dollar. I need you out here right away. It's about Frank Harvey. One of your claim adjusters? Then you do know him. I worked on a lot of cases with him, yeah. Well, you won't work on any more. He's been murdered. I'll take the first plane out. The makers of Wrigley's Spearmint Chewing Gum bring you John Lund in another adventure of the man with the action-packed expense account, America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator, yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Friends, the makers of Wrigley's Spearmint Gum present these weekly adventures of Johnny Dollar because they know that millions of you enjoy Johnny Dollar. That's true of Wrigley's Spearmint Chewing Gum, too. It's enjoyed by millions, day in and day out. People find that chewing on a smooth, delicious piece of Wrigley's Spearmint Gum somehow makes time pass more pleasantly. Whether you're working, driving, shopping, or just taking things easy, that good, tasty chewing gives you enjoyment and satisfaction. So always keep a package of Wrigley's Spearmint Chewing Gum handy. And whenever you want a refreshing, delicious treat, chew a stick. You'll like it. You really will. Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar to Home Office, Eastern Indemnity and Insurance Company, Hartford, Connecticut. The following is an accounting of expenditures during my investigation of the classified killer matter. Expense account item one, $71.30. Airfare and incidentals between Hartford and Chicago. I was greeted at the airport by Ted Albright and one of Chicago's winter blizzards. Sorry about this lousy weather, Dollar. It'll slow us up plenty. Oh, no hurry. It'll give you time to fill me in on Frank Harvey. Well, I can tell you everything I know in about a half a minute. It wasn't even a town when it happened. The wife and I were visiting her folks in Milwaukee. The police traced me there at two this morning. What did they tell you? All lousy drivers think they own the whole road. Yeah, what did the police tell you? Well, Frank was apparently at the office until a quarter of seven last night. That's when the night elevator man signed him out in his book. He left the office alone. About an hour and a half later, a truck driver found his body half buried in a snowdrift out on Mannheim Road near the northwest city limits. He'd been shot three times at close range. And that's all I know. Well, not very much, is it? Watch what you're doing. You... 
All the stupid morons. Everybody thinks he can drive a car. You're kind of on edge, aren't you? Well, who wouldn't be? This thing happening to Harvey, driving back to Chicago in the middle of the night, no sleep. Oh, I'm sorry, Dollar. I guess it all piled up on me. I suppose you want to go right to our offices here. No, I'll check with the police first. You want to drop me off? Sure. By the time we got down to 11th and State, the snowplows were out in full force. I went up to Homicide, where I met Lieutenant Franchetti. A blizzard like this always cuts down the crime incidence rate, Dollar. Homicide, particularly. There'll be a rise in deaths from natural causes and yakky dack, but not much for our department. Yakky dack? Yeah, anti-freeze. Favorite cold weather drink of the bums on West Madison. They drain it from the radiators of parked cars. It's pretty lethal. Yeah, in here. Oh, thanks. <sighs> so you want to know what we got on Frank Harvey, do you? That's the general idea. Well, we picked up a little more dope since we talked to Albright. Looks like Harvey was murdered while trying to sell his car. How do you figure that? And he'd been running a classified ad in one of the evening papers for the last couple of nights. Uh, here's a copy of it. Thanks. For sale, 53 Cadillac convertible, perfect condition, all accessories reasonable. How does this tie in? Well, according to one of the mechanics in the garage where Harvey kept his car, he met a prospective buyer there last night. He heard him discussing the car, and then Harvey and the man got in and drove off. That was about five to seven. The mechanic give you a description? Yeah, pretty detailed one. Didn't catch his name, though. Ziegler's checking over the mug books right now. That's the mechanic's name? Yeah, Will Ziegler. So far, he's drawn a blank. Anyway, at 8.37 last night, we clocked in a call from a truck driver phoning from a pay station out on Mannheim Road. He'd found Harvey in a snowbank. He was shot to death, huh? Yeah, three bullet wounds, two slugs still in him, third one's missing, thirty-eight caliber. The land and groove marks are clean enough to identify the gun if we ever find it. What about the car? It's missing. Put out an APB with a description of the man and the general pickup on the car. No luck so far. Well, how do you see it, Lieutenant? Well, my guess is somebody figured out a cheap way to get himself a good automobile. Well, that's it, Dollar. Looks pretty routine from here on in. Nothing much you can do to help. No, maybe not, Lieutenant, but I'd like to stick around. Well, sure. Nothing else you can probably... Oh, excuse me. Lieutenant Franchetti. Ah, uh, yes, Sergeant. Oh, good. Uh, the address again? Uh, no, yeah, I got it. Thanks. Uh, would you like to take a ride, Dollar? Where to? Mannheim Road. They just found Harvey's car. It took us some 45 skidding minutes to make our way through the storm out to a beer and hamburger joint on Mannheim Road. A precinct car and a handful of reporters were already there when we arrived. A detective sergeant filled us in on the background. The owner of this place came out about an hour ago to open up, Lieutenant. He saw the car parked out there in the parking lot and phoned in. Uh-huh. It's Frank Harvey's car, all right. Been out here a long time, all that snow piled on it. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt about where Harvey got shot. Not with all those blood stains on the seat. Uh-huh. You sure that mechanic said it was a man Harvey drove off with last night? Does something give you a different idea? There's a woman's compact back here on the floor. Expense account item two. $3.80. Cab fare back to your offices in downtown Chicago. We got nowhere talking to the beer joint owner... And there weren't any more physical clues in the car to tell us anything. 
But I figured maybe Ted Albright could. Just doesn't make sense, Dollar. Why not? Well, you said the garage mechanic saw Frank drive away with a man. How'd a woman get into the picture? Well, I thought maybe you could help us with that. Me? How? Well, you were Frank's boss. You must have got to know him pretty well. Well, sure, sure. But what's that got to do with this woman? Well, did he have any girlfriends? Anybody in particular that he went around with? Oh, no, not that I know of. I'm sure he didn't. A young, single guy making a good salary driving a 53 Cadillac convertible? And he didn't have any girlfriends? Well, I didn't mean it that way. Sure he did. But there wasn't anybody in particular I knew of. No women involved in any recent adjustments, either. Oh, you've been going through Harvey's claim files, huh? Yeah, I thought it might be a good idea. Didn't come up with anything, though. What about life insurance? Yeah, I talked to him about that. All he was carrying was 10,000 GI. Mother was the beneficiary. No motive there. Yeah, it looks like the police were right. and Somebody was just trying to get himself a car, Chief. Will you get it, Dollar? Yeah, sure. Hello? Uh, say, uh, is this the uh, insurance company where that uh, fellow worked who was killed? That's right. Who's this? What I want to know is, uh, you guys willing to pay something for, uh, finding the guy who done it? Do you know something about it? I know plenty, mister. Yeah, plenty. But I ain't telling nothing without getting paid for it. Uh, not that I don't believe every patriotic citizen should ought to do his duty. But if there's a few bucks lying around, well, a fellow's got to make a living these days, you know. Yeah, sure. Suppose we get together and talk it over. That, mister, unless I was pretty sure of making a deal. Well, not that I ain't on the side of law and order, you understand, but it ain't too easy for a guy to get along these days, what with the high cost of living and all. If you have information, you've got a deal. Now, where do we get together? Well, it ain't that I want to chisel you for anything, mister. Always willing to do my duty as an honest citizen. Yeah, yeah. Where do we get together? Well, now, uh, my name's Taggart. Spell it with two G's. I'm the room clerk at the Biloxi Hotel. Where's that? Well, it's at, uh, Wells and Grand. Now, I ain't trying to chisel or anything, mister. It's just that I... Be right there. <laughs> Expense account item three. A dollar and twenty-five cents. Cab fare to the Biloxi Hotel. Expense account item four, twenty dollars. To help the room clerk, Martin Taggart, combat the high cost of living. Two principal items of which were obviously garlic and bourbon. Uh, that's her name right there, wrote on the register. Miss Alma Carter, she calls herself. She checked in here around 9.30 last night. That's right. All kind of scared and frightened looking. Noticed some stains on her coat, too. Looked like blood to me. Oh, not that it's any of my business. I just give them their rooms and collect their money. That's all I'm paid for. All right, let's have the rest of it, Taggart. Well, uh... When she come out here in the lobby every couple of hours or so to listen to the news broadcast on the radio there, and uh, and uh, when she wanted me to go out and buy the papers for her three or four times, well, I started wondering about things. Very shrewd. Yeah. Well, when I heard the news about that woman's compact being found in the car, that kind of clinched things. I figured then I'd better put through a call to you. She's in room 14? That's right. Room 14. Uh, you'll find it right straight down... Thanks. The, uh, uh... 
Yes, who's there? Miss Carter, I'd like to talk to you. Who are you? My name is Dollar, insurance investigator. Insurance and... All right, come in. Thanks. Now, what's this all about, Mr. Dollar? Knocking on a perfect stranger's room, saying you have to talk with me. Let's get one thing straight first. You're wrong about our being strangers. Wrong? I've never seen you before. No, but I've seen you. Or at least your picture. My picture? Yeah. On the desk of the Chicago manager for Eastern Indemnity. On... On the desk of... That's right, Mrs. Albright. Friends, here's a suggestion that'll help you go through a busy day feeling more relaxed and satisfied. From time to time, especially when you're feeling tense or under pressure, chew a stick of Wrigley's Spearmint Gum. You see, chewing is a natural way to get rid of some of that pent-up tension. Chewing on a good, smooth piece of Wrigley's Spearmint Gum not only helps you feel more relaxed, but also gives you taste enjoyment. There's lots of refreshing, delicious flavor in Wrigley's Spearmint Chewing Gum, you'll really enjoy it. So do what millions do. Always keep Wrigley's Spearmint Chewing Gum handy and chew some every day. You'll feel more relaxed and you'll get more enjoyment out of the things you do. Next time you're at the store, get a few packages of Wrigley's Spearmint Chewing Gum. And now with our star, John Lund, we bring you the second act of Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar. Under the proper circumstances, Mrs. Ted Albright could have been a very attractive woman. Under the circumstances in which I met her, she didn't come even close to making the grade. So you know who I am. You know I'm Ted's wife. You were with Frank Harvey last night? Yes. When he was killed? Yes. What happened, Mrs. Albright? Could I have a cigarette, please? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Thanks. We ran out a couple of hours ago. Didn't help my nerves in. Yeah. Thank you, that helps. All right, what happened, Mrs. Albright? Well, Frank was going to give a prospect a ride in the car last night. He asked me if I'd mind going along. Pretty friendly with Frank, were you? We were good friends. Your husband know that you had this date with him? No, Ted thought I was visiting my folks in Milwaukee. Mm-hmm. Go on. Frank picked me up at the main entrance of the insurance building about seven. This other man was in the car? Yes, in the front seat next to Frank. I got in and sat between him and the door. Did Frank introduce you? He mentioned the man's name, yes, but it was in kind of a mumble. I didn't get it. Okay. What happened then? Well, the man asked Frank if he'd mind driving out to his house so he could have his wife look at the car. He didn't give the exact address, just told Frank to drive out Mannheim Road. Mm-hmm. Go on. We were driving along a lonely stretch of road when the man told Frank to pull over to the side and stop. He had a gun in his hand. Frank asked him what the big idea was. And the man laughed in a kind of crazy way. Pulled the trigger. What happened then? 
Everything's kind of a blur after that. I think I screamed. Tried to get out of the car. I know I fell to the ground. And I got to my feet and started running. Did the man chase you? I don't know. I just kept on running, and then I saw that old shack down the road. I ran behind it and hid. I think I fainted then. Sometime later, I got a lift from a passing motorist. He took me into town, and I... And I came here. You've been here ever since? Yes. Why didn't you call the police when you got into town? Don't you realize what happened? I was out with a man who wasn't my husband. Involved in a murder. I couldn't tell anyone. It was my only chance to avoid being involved in a scandal. Can't you understand that? No, I can't. And I don't think Frank Harvey could either. After Mrs. Albright told her story to Lieutenant Franchetti and a police stenographer, she was booked and held as a material witness. Then Franchetti sent out a pickup for Ted Albright. Now looks like it's boiling down, Dollar. Chubba's husband hires a gun to knock off his wife's boyfriend. It's a classic pattern. Yeah, maybe. Uh, what about that garage mechanic? No, Ziegler? Yeah. He have any luck with the mug books? Yeah. Came up with three that he said looked pretty close. All ex-cons, long records. We're running them down now. How does Mrs. Albright's description of the killer fit? Uh, not too close. I showed her the mugs and she said no. But then she would. Why? Well, once we get the guy, he'll put the finger on her husband. That'll be a stinking mess. Well, it's not exactly reminiscent of a rose right now. It looked like routine police procedure from then on in, so one of Franchetti's men drove me to the Palmer house and I checked into my room. I was looking forward to a hot shower, but I didn't quite make it. Johnny Dollar. This is Albright, Dollar. I've got to talk to you. Where are you? Down in the lobby. Come on up. Come in. Where's Alma, Dollar? Have the police got her? Yeah, material witness. Here, God in heaven. They've got a pickup out for you, too. For me? Well, why should... Hey, wait a minute. Did the police think that I killed Frank Harvey? Or hired someone to do it. But that's incredible. It's insane. It's you not... knew Alma was seeing Frank, didn't you? I... Well, I suspected it. Yes, I wasn't sure, You were but... pretty sure she was out with Frank last night. That's why you went up to Milwaukee, to check on her story about going to visit her parents there. Yes, I did. But I didn't get there until almost 10 o'clock, and that's the first I really knew she wasn't there. Don't you see, Dollar? That's my alibi. The police won't think so. I don't care what the police think. It's Alma I'm worried about down there in some stinking rotten cell. There's got to be some way of getting this mess straightened out. I know what the first step is. What's that? You're going to turn yourself in. Expense account item five, $2.25. Cab fare from the Palmer House to police headquarters at 11th and State, where I dropped off Albright in care of Lieutenant Franchetti and then went out to the garage where Frank Harvey had kept his car. I found the man I wanted in a paint booth at the rear of the second floor. Ziegler? Your name's Ziegler? What'd you say, Mac? I'm looking for Will Ziegler. Is that you? Yeah, that's right, Mac. <coughs> what can I do for you? My name is Dollar. Huh? I'm an insurance investigator. Yeah, that's so. I'd like to ask you a few questions. Oh, hey, I get it, Mac. Insurance investigator. 
Yeah, that guy Harvey, he was in the same racket, wasn't he? You know, the guy who got killed. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it was rough. Guy getting himself bumped off that way, real rough. I was standing right there when he and the Joker who'd done it drove off, you know. Yeah, that's what I wanted to talk to you about. Yeah, sure, Mac. Be glad to tell you what I can, but uh, I already gave that lieutenant, uh, what's his name? Franchetti? Yeah. Yeah, I already gave him all the dope. I picked out two or three guys from that rogues gallery book that looked like the Joker I seen. Had you ever seen that man down here before? Mmm, well, I couldn't swear it, Mac. But I don't think I ever seen a guy before, no. What about Ted Albright? Who? Ted Albright. He was Harvey's boss. Ever see him down here? Albright. Albright, ah. Now, the name don't mean anything, Mac. Could be he's a customer here, but I never run across him. Okay, let's get back to this man who drove off with Harvey. All right. Did you notice anything strange about him? Anything different, peculiar? No, that's a trouble. Like I told that lieutenant, you never can tell about them kind of jokers. What kind? You know, them psychos. Like that guy is. Oh, you figure he's a psycho? Oh, sure, has to be. I got it all figured out. Yeah? How's that, Zeke? Look. Look, here's a guy, sees an ad in the paper. Car for sale. So he figures he'll meet the guy who run the ad, drive out on some lonely stretch of road, bump him off, and make away with the car. Just don't make sense. Why not? <laughs> Any guy who's in the hot car business don't go through all that trouble. And letting people see him, besides. He picks out some nice-looking jalopy parked on the street, picks a lock, jumps the ignition, and whoop, he's off. Clean. Get what I mean? Yeah, I get what you mean. Sure, but this guy don't do it that way. He puts himself in a spot where I can see him. And even worse, when Harvey picks up that dame in front of that insurance building, he don't back out of the deal. He bumps Harvey off with one perfectly good witness sitting right there beside him. The guy has to be a psycho. Hmm, seems to make sense. <laughs> sure, I got it all figured. Hey, look, when that lieutenant, uh, what's his name? Franchetti. Yeah, Franchetti. When he picks up them three guys I put the finger on, all he's got to do is find out which one's the psycho. That'll be the guy he's after. But look, I gotta get back on a job, Mac. Guy wants it by five this afternoon. Hey, I hope I helped you out, Mac. Let me know if you get that guy, huh? Yeah, I'll let you know. Expense account item six, a dollar and eighty-five cents. Cab fare back to police headquarters, where I had a talk with Alma Albright. You tell me, Ted's been arrested, Mister Dollar. That's right. Why'd they have to do that to him? He didn't have anything to do with this. I'm not too interested right now in what happens to you or Ted. No, I don't blame you. That man who killed Frank, do you have any idea what kind of work he did? Work? Yes. Did he say anything about what he did, who he was, or where he lived? No, no, nothing. All he and Frank talked about was a car. Was there anything peculiar about his hands or his clothes or anything like that? No, no, nothing. I Wait a minute, his clothes... Yeah, what about him? There was a kind of a faint, sweet odor I noticed, like... Like... Nail polish remover, maybe? Yes, that's it, nail polish remover. How did you know? Does that have anything to do with Frank's death? I'm not sure. Expense account item seven. A dollar and 85 cents. Cab fare back to the garage. Ziegler had finished the paint job and had punched out for the day. Expense account item eight... $2.95. Cab fare to a rooming house out on the west side of town. Hey. Hi, Mac. 
Come on in. Come in. Thanks. Well, what brings you out this way, Mac? Uh, something turn up about that joker who bumped your insurance friend? I wanted to talk to you about that theory of yours. Theory? Oh, oh, oh! you mean about the guy being a psycho? Yeah, yeah. I think you've got something there. Oh, yeah, sure, sure I have. It figures. Say, uh, look, I was just getting some clothes together to take down to the cleaners. You mind if I go ahead with it while we talk? No, no, go right ahead. Thanks. Hey, uh, about that psycho routine, yeah. That's the only thing that makes sense about the whole business. You know, him knocking off your girl, your friend with the girl in the car and all. I thought of another angle about the girl, Ziegler. He might have had some plans about her, too. Hey, hey, that's right. Never thought of that. It ties in, though. Yeah, no telling what a psycho will do where a pretty girl's concerned, huh? Ah, how do you like this jacket, Mac? Some class, huh? Sent me back a C-note. You kind of go for classy clothes, don't you, Ziegler? Oh, yeah, yeah, I like them fine. Big cars, too, huh? Oh, you ain't just woofing, Mac. Nothing gives a guy class like sharp clothes and a real fine car. What did you think of Frank Harvey's job? That? Mac, that was the end. A real dreamboat. Car like that, clothes like these. I could really have the dame standing in line waiting for him. Huh? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. You always take that many clothes to the cleaners at one time? Hmm? Oh, yeah. You got to take good care of rags like this, you know. Should be cleaned after every time you wear them. Do they have any trouble removing the acetone odor from them? Acetone? Yeah. The solvent you use in your auto paint. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, uh, that stuff really clings. That's what Mrs. Albright said. That right? Who's she? The girl you and Frank Harvey picked up in front of the insurance building last night. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. She, uh, noticed it, huh? That's what she said. Mm, Nice-looking babe, that Mrs. Albright. Real nice. Just the kind to fit in with classy clothes and a dreamboat car like Harvey's, huh? Oh, man, you're saying it. A doll like that, a car like that, a a guy'd really be sitting on top of the world, huh? Yeah. (laughs) Uh, How'd you know, Mike? That uh, acetone stuff tip you, huh? It helped. Mm -hmm. Your crack at the garage about picking up the girl was the real tip. Yeah, that's right. I shouldn't have known about that, should I? How do you like that? Always did shoot off my mouth too much. Well, you want to ride in with me or wait till the cops get out here? <laughs> Might as well ride in with you, Mac. Uh, I'll get my coat and hat, huh? Don't try it, Ziegler. Okay. Okay, okay, Mac. I quit. I always get excited at the wrong time. Like I did with Harvey. Oh, that was too bad. Killing him? No. No. Doing it in the car that way. Spoiled that great upholstery. Couldn't even use the job after that. That was a mistake. Expense account item nine. $17.50. Food and hotel bill. Expense account item 10, $68.40, plane fare and incidentals back to Hartford. Expense account total, $191.15. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar.
Friends, when you've got a package of Wrigley's Spearmint Chewing Gum with you, you're all set for refreshment and enjoyment at any time. At work, at home, in your car, wherever you are, just slip a stick of delicious Wrigley's Spearmint Gum in your mouth and keep on with what you're doing. See how refreshing that lively spearmint flavor tastes, how it cools your mouth and helps keep your throat moist. Enjoy the good chewing, too. It'll make the time pass more pleasantly for you. And remember, chewing Wrigley Spearmint Gum helps keep breath sweet and teeth clean. So it's a nice thing to have with you at all times. Get some next time you're at the store. That's Wrigley's Spearmint Chewing Gum. Healthful, refreshing, delicious. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, brought to you by Wrigley's Spearmint Chewing Gum, stars John Lund in the title role and was written by Sidney Marshall with music by Eddie Dunstetter. Featured in tonight's cast were Bob Bailey, Bill Conrad, Junius Matthews, Virginia Gregg, Sidney Miller, and Fred Mackay. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, is produced and directed by Jaime Del Valle. The makers of Wrigley's Spearmint Chewing Gum hope you enjoyed tonight's story of Johnny Dollar and that you're enjoying delicious Wrigley's Spearmint Gum every day. This is Charles Lyon inviting you to join us again next week at this same time when, from Hollywood, John Lund returns as... Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. This is the CBS Radio Network. Welcome back. Well, the alert listeners will notice the voice of Bob Bailey as Ted Albright. And that is indeed the case. That Bob Bailey guest starred on Johnny Dollar before taking the lead role. I will say that it's nice to hear that clearly. The first time we played this... Um, the copy we had of this episode was not nearly as high quality. So I read in John Abbott's book that it was the case that Bob Bailey was the insurance agency, which he based on what he'd gotten from Terry Samuelson's logs. And when I listened to it, the voice said, like, you know, that could be Bob Bailey. But the recording is really scratchy. I'm taking uh, you gentlemen's word for it. But here, no need to take anyone's word for it. It is crystal clear that it's Bob Bailey. And uh, this was actually really enjoyable. Uh, you know, it's nice to actually hear the episode and be able to... Take out all of the voices clearly, because those sound quality issues you know, can really take away. There can be some fun and some good stories to enjoy, despite bad audio quality, but sometimes if you can just sit down and enjoy the story and not have to be like, okay, what did that guy say? It's a lot more enjoyable. This episode was just a, a really good story, you know, good mystery, good twist, great cast. And so another advantage of going through this series uh, a second time is just being able to play higher quality encodes of, you know, shows we played, uh, you know, 10 years ago. 
Now, the hook for the episode comes to the perils of selling stuff as a private party through classified ads, or buying for that matter. And while classified ads are not a, as used as they used to be, the problem will continue. There have been stories about things happening to people buying off of Craigslist or off of a Facebook Marketplace. Whatever technology is being used, however it's the transactions being done, you really have to take steps for safety. It's a challenge with a car because reasonably someone's going to want to test drive a car before buying it or to see how it drives. And you don't just want to have someone drive off with your vehicle. Yeah, you may never get it back. I did love uh, Lieutenant Franchetti and his simple cases because essentially it's, you know, the way he talked, it's like, okay, well, we've got this scenario and you know, we're just going to go with it. Uh, he was killed because somebody wanted the car and it was just a plan to steal the car. And then he changes and says, no, it's just a simple case where the insurance guy hired a hitman. And it's like Franchetti had these templates for the crime that he just kind of went with. Uh, to me, it was kind of ridiculous to have uh, a warrant out for Ted. Given that Ted had an actual alibi for the crime, and it, certainly it would be a theory that Ted had hired a hitman uh, to take out the guy his wife was cheating with. But uh, to have any case against Ted, you actually had to track down the hitman. Of course, didn't exist. The first theory was closer to the truth than the second, but there was nothing uh, simple about this guy, who definitely was a bit messed up, but Johnny handled it uh, very well in the end. Well, listener comments and feedback, and we have an email from uh, Lawrence regarding the Sherlock Holmes episode. And uh, Lawrence writes, Hi Adam, being a Sherlockian, I've had that particular Richard Gordon program in my collection. However, the one you played was of a better quality. According to the book Sherlock Holmes Screened and Sound by Gordon E. Kelly, it's also known as Murder by Proxy, with the date given as January 18, 1932. I love enjoying the various actors and old-time radio shows. And nine times out of ten, if at the end of the program they list the actors from the performance, uh, I'm usually correct. Upon listening to this one, I'm almost certain that it is Agnes Moorhead as the landlady. This would be around the time she was living in New York working with Orson Welles in the Mercury Theater. I'm almost positive that she was in another Sherlock Holmes episode uh, entitled The Red Circle from 1941 with Rathbone, uh Bruce, where she portrayed Mrs. Warren. But since they didn't have a cast list at the end, I can't be certain. Anyway, keep up uh, the fine work that you do. Well, thank you so much, Lawrence. I appreciate the email. Oh, goodness. The pre-Rathbone Bruce Sherlock Holmes episodes. It can be such a challenge. The series was on for nine years, off and on, before... Basil Rathbone and Nigel Bruce had their first season. We've got a total of 
five episodes, and the dates can be so confusing. And the title, Murder by Proxy, sounded familiar, and I did a search. I had played that episode, but I had it labeled as a Lewis Hector episode. I have no idea why I did that, because the recording clearly states that Sherlock Holmes was played by Richard Gordon. If I was thinking one thing, it was that sometimes uh, things get copied onto a radio program that are not actually part of it. Like someone will copy in some end credits. Like, you know, there'll be an episode of a series that they'll say, oh, this is missing ending credits. You know what I'll do? I will go ahead and I will grab ending credits from another series and I will just copy it onto this program so that it makes sense. Uh, you know, the problem becomes that oftentimes the cast isn't the same uh, or there are many details that are different. And it's generally just a bad practice. But some people are like, yeah, I want this to seem like it's a complete recording, like it has ending credits, so we'll put ending credits on even if it doesn't match this episode. And I'd been through multiple sites uh, dealing with uh, trying to date this thing. I think that, you know, for most episodes of programs I play on Great Detectives, I've got a very precise date. I, I, for this episode, I wrote uh, 1933 or 1935 or who knows. It was just uh, impossible today. Your book says January 1932. Mine says May of 1932. And I won't even try to guess who's right on that. Uh, in terms of Agnes Moorhead, who could be right? She wasn't working with Orson Welles at this point, it should be said. Orson Welles was a strapping lad of 17 who had gotten himself hired at a theater in Dublin by claiming to be a Broadway star. You know, I mean, eventually he would get there, but uh, that wasn't necessarily true at the time. Well, it wasn't true at the time. And then ended up doing uh, work in England, work in North Africa. And the first mention I have in, of him in America is in 1933, and the Mercury Theater stuff didn't start till a bit later. But Agnes Moorhead was actually in her 30s and really was kind of a struggling actress during this period. She would take whatever work she could get. In fact, she actually went four days without food at one point. You know, literally the starving artist situation. So if she could have gotten an appearance on uh, Sherlock Holmes, she certainly would have taken it. Thanks so much for the email. And again, I'm sorry for identifying it as a previously uncirculated episode. It was just a correct, a newly correctly identified episode with better sound quality. And I'll try to make the log on the website clear. So one episode added to Richard Gordon and one episode removed from the Lewis Hector run. Now it's time to thank our Patreon supporter of the day. And I want to go ahead and thank Joshua. Joshua has been one of our Patreon supporters since February of 2016, currently supporting us at the Shamus level of $4 or more per month. Again, thanks so much for your support, Joshua. 
And that will do it for today. If you are enjoying this podcast, please be sure to rate and review it wherever you download the podcast from. And also give us a recommendation and a review on Facebook if you're over there. We will be back next Tuesday with This Is O'Shea. And next Friday with another episode of Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar. But coming up tomorrow, join us with Jace Pearson and Tales of the Texas Rangers where... Morning, Sheriff. Morning, Lenny. I figured you'd be coming around. Oh, you heard what's happened. Yeah. This is Ranger Jace Pearson, Lenny. He wants to ask you some questions. Sure. When did you see Arlene Rankin last, Lenny? Yesterday afternoon at the Sutton funeral. Everybody in town was there, I guess. You talked to her? For a few minutes. I asked her to go to the basketball game at the school gym, but she couldn't. She'd already promised to sit for the Purvis folks. I see. What happened between Arlene and Dave Fenton, do you know? They just busted up, that's all. How'd he take it? Well, he could be pretty nasty when things didn't go the way he wanted. He called her up a lot after that, wanted to patch things up, but Arlene wouldn't have any of it. He got good and sore a couple of times. Do you think Arlene was frightened by him? Sure, the guy was crazy jealous and never knew what he might do. I hope you'll be with us then. In the meantime, do send your comments to box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and check us out on Instagram, instagram.com slash greatdetectives. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.